So we're in Genesis uh, 26, and if you are uh, new, we're walking through the book of Genesis. That's the series we're in. Uh, the first 11 chapters or so refers to what is the Genesis refers to as the generations of man or generations of mankind. And then chapter 12 turns a corner and begins to focus in on one man, the, the generations of Abraham. And uh, Abraham was beginning a whole new line of something God was doing. And uh, in chapter 20, uh, around 26, it, it turns the corner last week, really, in 25, we turned the corner, began to focus on Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. And so... Um, that's where we're going to be this week in chapter 26. And I do want to, I want to give huge credit to uh, Fletcher Lang of Coa Somerville on this uh, message. He was, they're, they're like a week ahead of us because Fletcher's always been an overachiever. Um, and just, you know, it's got to, got to be ahead, got to be first. But um, <laughs> no, they just threw some uh, weird breaks in the messages. He's, uh, he's ahead. And I was actually going to do 26 and 27 this week. I was uh, up to Wednesday, actually Thursday. I was thinking 26 and 27. I was going to kind of summarize 26. But then he told me and, and uh, sent me his notes about what he did last Sunday on 26. And I really thought, once I read it, I was like, man, I love the way he dealt with it. And I love the way it connects with what we looked at last week as a church. So I want to give him credit uh, for um, much of, of uh, the notes from this message. So last week, if you remember, if you were here, we looked at the legacy of Abraham given to Isaac. And we looked at it through scripture, through a lot of New Testament passages where Abraham is highlighted. Um, and that was kind of the theological legacy that he gave that we see that runs throughout scripture. Um, but this week is a little more, is a little more of the practical uh, legacy that he gave. And in a very real life circumstances, we see in Isaac's life, the legacy of Abraham, both his brokenness and his blessing. Um, and I love the, the way that this text uh, teases this out for us and helps us to understand uh, while Abraham is held up throughout scripture as this great hero of the faith, and we should respect and seek to emulate faith like he had, um, he was a very real person who left uh, a brokenness um, that, that impacted his own son uh, as he grew up. So there's going to be lots of application for um, leaving a godly legacy, but also I, I want to suggest for you, those of you that are single uh, or you don't have children, um, this is not a message just for uh, married couples because the church is not, not a bunch of uh, the, the children in Jesus's family are not the only the responsibility of the two parents. Uh, when we do parent-child dedication as a church, which we're going to do on Father's Day this year, uh, it is a vow that we as covenant members make to that family. And so uh, there is a responsibility that as uh, a follower of Jesus that you have to the children that God puts around you in life. So I'm going to read Genesis 26, 1 through 11, and I will, at the end, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. So when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, oh, sorry, I'm in 27. <laughs> Told you I was going to preach 27. <clears throat> Backing up. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land in which I tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. And to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And I will give to you, to your offspring, all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. 
So Isaac settled in Gerar, where the men of the place asked him about his wife. He said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I, should die, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so when you read the rest of this chapter and, uh, and what was before it and in the context of Genesis as a whole, there's one thing that's really, really clear here. It's weird. It's a weird chapter. It, it feels out of place. It feels uh, disjunctive. The stories are like, feel disconnected uh, other than being from Isaac's life. And uh, pretty, uh, pretty clear, uh, most scholars agree this is not put together. Even the stories aren't even in chronological order. It was almost like they were like, hey, we should say some things about Isaac. Um, let's just throw them in here. He's, you know, he's kind of Abraham's son, and we got, I know we're going to get to Jacob and his son soon, but let's, we should probably throw something in here. Um, but, but in fact, if you think of it that way, you miss the intentionality here. Biblical authors are very intentional in the way that they write, what they include, and the order that they put things in. Um, and, and the more you study Scripture, the more you'll come to realize that. Chapter 24 was about finding a wife for Isaac. He was sort of in the background, right? And at the very end, he comes on the scene, kind of sees his wife. He's just waiting for the servant uh, to bring Rebecca back to him. Then in chapter 25 last week, it was a, really began to focus uh, after Abraham's death. It really just kind of skips right into the birth of Esau and Jacob, uh, which we'll focus a little bit more on next week. Um, and then we get to to 27, God willing, uh, we find he's an old man and he's already uh, ready to pass on from the scene and, and uh, the center of activity has already shifted towards his sons. So here we have one chapter on Isaac in the whole book. In between the selling, his son sell, uh, Esau selling his birthright to his younger brother and the next chapter where Jacob steals uh, the blessing of the, of the oldest from his brother. And this one's about Isaac's life. So why is it here? What's the purpose? What do these random stories have uh, for us today? And it's a very, it's, it's, it's a remarkably simple lesson. Like father, like son. That's it. Uh, it's, it's Isaac is a chip off the old block, good and bad. Uh, the pattern follows Abraham's life, this whole chapter. The covenant promises that God make to him, because we already read about Isaac, God appearing to Isaac here, and then the deception about Isaac's wife. Uh, and then later in the chapter, we find that Isaac is blessed by God, like in extraordinary, uh, inexplicable ways beyond what anyone in the land could have or, or be blessed with. He's being blessed. And so we're going to look at these through the lens of the legacy of brokenness and, and blessing. In the first, we're going to see Abraham's brokenness and blessing on Isaac. We're going, to see, we're going to talk about the broken legacies that we have received, the blessing and brokenness. And then uh, we're going to talk about how we can leave a godly legacy uh, to uh, our children and to the children around us. We're going to spend most of our time in the first two. 
All right, so let's look at Abraham's brokenness and blessing. Verse one begins with a famine in the land. This is, back then, it was a really big deal. Back, uh, back then, that usually meant there was a drought. There were major issues. You couldn't grow crops right now. And, uh, and a famine in the land meant uh, you had to go, go hike somewhere for food. Now, when we experience a, fam- uh, a drought, we, can, we have wells that are you know, hundreds or even 1,000 feet deep we can draw from. We have reservoirs. We've built irrigation systems and things like that. But you can't do that back then. Isaac had to go find water. So in verse two, it says he, he left, but the Lord appeared to him and tells him uh, where to go. But even more importantly here, what does he do? He gives the promise of Abraham. If you, if you heard me reading it, you have heard those words how many times in Genesis already? I couldn't even, I didn't count, but a lot. Over and over and over again, God tells Abraham, I will bless you and give you a son. I will give you a people. I will make you great and I will be with you. It's a constant reiteration of God's blessing of a people, a land, and his presence. Uh, and this is really huge because this is the godly part of Abraham's legacy being passed down to his son. It's Isaac's real hope that the God who walked with his father would, would walk with him as well and bless him. But that scene ends very quickly. When the sins of Abraham begin to show up. Look at verse 6 and 7 again. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, she said, she, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. Does this feel like Groundhog Day? <laughs> this, is, this has happened before. This is... A, rep- a, 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 a repetition of an exact same scenario that played out twice in Abraham's life. They did this because when you traveled into a neighboring nation, you had no backup. There was no army. There was no embassy for you to go to. There was no resources. No one was coming for you if you got in trouble. And so uh, Isaac thought, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll lie about this. And, and he does it exactly like his dad did. In fact, you might even recognize the name Abimelech. That's the one of the times that Abraham lied about his wife was to Abimelech. So now he's king of the Philistines and at least if he's not the exact same king, he is the, uh, the son of that king. Um, because literally the term Abimelech, they think, could, be, could have been a title, meaning uh, my father is king. But, but Isaac's repeating it, and I think there's a reason like, they include this here to like, just show exactly how connected Isaac's sin is with his father's sin. He's repeating the sins of his father. And, you, and for you and I today, as much as we don't like it, you are naturally predisposed to repeat the sins of your parents. You are. You spend more time with your parents than anyone else growing up. You learn how to be a human being. You learn how to interact. You learn how to use language. You watch how they treat you and how they treat other people, and you naturally mimic them, even if you don't want to. Uh, I've got a granddaughter who's eight months old, and she is now mimicking like you can sometimes do something and she'll do it in response, right? The same thing. And, uh, and, and, and that happens more and more as you grow up. And this happens to you if you are a parent. This no doubt has happened to you. You didn't plan it. You didn't think about it. But all of a sudden, you, some, some words flow out of your mouth towards your child. And you realize 
That's exactly what my mom and dad said. Exactly. I didn't plan this. I didn't think about it. It just came out of me. Well, it's been there. And you learned it the old-fashioned way by literally being, it being repeated to you again and again. And just as you're predisposed to repeat the sins of your parents, your children are naturally predisposed to repeat your sins. One of the worst feelings I've had as an adult is seeing my sin in my children. My exact sin. I can't look at them and go, where did you learn that? Where did you get that from, right? Because dad, right? And, and mom, and to see that. Now, fortunately, not to the same degree. Um, I, I was so good at sin as a kid, I could have gone pro, but um, decided not to. But if you look at Isaac, Isaac definitely has uh, some, some background that, that in his life that played, certainly played into this. You've got to imagine the trauma of being roughly a 13, 14, 15-year-old boy, your dad taking you up on a mountain, making you carry the firewood, taking you up on a mountain, tying you to an altar, pulling out a knife, and ready to kill you and burn your body. Now, God, God came through, right? And, and it was clear that that was God's intention and purpose. But that's got to do something to you mentally as a child, right? As a, as a human being, to, to have your father. I mean, that wasn't a quick thing. That was a long journey. Um, but also, Isaac had a chance to observe his father commit sins. Um, it's possible that he even saw his father commit one of these sins where he lied about his wife. And maybe this, or maybe this is just a con that Isaac, uh, that Abraham taught Isaac. You know, he, as Isaac got older, he said, hey, buddy, I just need to talk to you about something. When you go into a foreign land, these kings are really weird, okay? You got to kind of protect yourself from them, and they're dangerous. So if they ever ask you about your wife, because she's beautiful, you need to just tell them she's your sister, right? You can imagine him saying something like that, because he did it twice. Um, and, and that sin... That was in at least in Abraham's life was partially true. If you remember, Sarah was actually his half sister. Um, Isaac, Rebecca is like his second cousin. I think is the way that works. So, um, like not even close. He was more. He was actually more abruptly lying than his father did. And what we see is that uh, Isaac's more deceptive than his father was. And Jacob, the son of Isaac, takes it to the next level. His name literally means scoundrel. By the way. Like, I mean, you gotta, you got to know something if you name your child when they're born scoundrel. But no matter how much you try and, not, and try not to repeat it, you will repeat the sins of your parents. Some form. Uh, many of you have seen the, the movie Hamilton, or the musical Hamilton. I saw the movie first because um, it was during COVID, right? came out on Disney. And I was, we were locked down, and I was like, I was looking for entertainment. So uh, we, we turned out all the lights, turned up the sound system, and like watched the whole thing. It was amazing. So I saw the movie first, but I uh, have seen the real thing. But there's a song in, in that movie um, where Burr and Hamilton sing a duet about their uh, small children, if you remember. And it's, it's called um, Dear Theodosia. And Philip and... Um, uh, sorry, uh, Hamilton's son, Philip, and, and Burr's daughter named Theodosia are, are newborns, and it's this heartwarming song. The lyrics go like this. My father wasn't around. My father wasn't around. I swear that I'll be around for you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make a million mistakes. 
I'll make the world safe and sound for you. And yet, what do we learn as Hamilton goes on? What's Philip like? He is exactly like his father. And in fact, shocking story, dies exactly like his father dies. The sins of the father repeated in the son's life. This is Isaac uh, repeating his father's sin. And it is you and I repeating the sins of our fathers. Now, Abimelech calls him out, right? Abimelech recognizes this sin. Maybe he thought, hey, you know, I've kind of seen this sin before. You know, <laughs> I knew another guy once that lied to me about his wife. Um, but it's it's interesting phrase in the Hebrew here. Um, what does the word Isaac mean in Hebrew? Anybody remember? Laughter. And what, is, what does Abimelech see Isaac doing with Rebekah? Laughing. Isaac was Isaacing with Rebecca. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a play in the Hebrew. Um, now you're like, well, well, I laugh with people I'm not married to all the time. This is kind of a euphemism. They were really happy together. You can just go from there and assume that. But let's just say it was abundantly clear to Abimelech they're married, or that's a weird relationship. <laughs> and and yet. Um, and yet, how does Abimelech respond? This is God's grace, right? In, 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 in Isaac's sin, how does Abimelech respond? Does he cast him out? Does he re- rebuke him? He does gently rebuke him. But what does he actually do? He blesses him and then declares a protection over him. He did not deserve that. He receives a blessing despite his brokenness, just like his father Abraham before him. Isn't this the way things work with God? If this doesn't resonate with you, I'm not sure you understand Christianity. We blow it, we fail, we fall short. And yet God blesses us. Isaac receives mercy, but also grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? So you, get, you deserve punishment, but you don't get it. Then grace is getting the good you don't deserve. So mercy kind of gets you back up to neutral. You don't get the punishment you deserve. Grace blesses you abundantly on top of that. And this is exactly what the Lord does to Isaac despite this. Look at verses 12 through 14. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. What was happening in the land, verse 1? A famine. So God extraordinarily blesses Isaac despite Isaac's sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news that you and I screw up. Our kids will screw up. And yet God is full of grace. The gospel is not good, good advice, good insight, good wisdom. It is good news. It is good news that God is not coming uh, with wrath for you. That God instead has poured that wrath out on his son Jesus for you. So that the sins you have repeated from your parents, by the way, are covered by Jesus. That's the core of the gospel. Christianity is not fundamentally about moral performance. There's a moral framework for for living in Jesus's family, just like being a part of any other family. But the beauty of being in that family is the father always loves you, always loves you. 
will always walk with you, will always offer grace to you. So that's the legacy of Abraham. We see the blessing and the um, brokenness poured down. Now, let's ask the question about the legacy we've received from our parents. Stop and think with me for a moment, if you will. What, what are the blessings you received from your parents? What are those things in your mind that come to mind that say like, yeah, that was, that was good. That was a, those were good things that I received. And I, and I have yet to find, I mean, maybe on the rare occasion, one or two people that just could not find anything redemptive about the way their parents tried to parent them or whatever. And that's, that can happen on rare occasion. But usually there's always something. There's something about them that you can actually receive as a blessing. But on the flip side, what brokenness did you receive from your parents? Just to be honest real quick with yourself, how, how often do you recognize your own sin in your life as coming from your parents? Like it's been passed down. You've, you learned from them and you are acting out of that. The, what happens, by the way, is you either do that and, I've, and that's the normal mode. The other one that happens, because some of you are like, well, that's not me. I don't do my parents. My parents were horrible like that. I'll never do that. No, no, I've never been like that kind of person my entire life. will never be that kind of person. You just overreact in the other direction and sin in the other way. So the super permissive, out of control parent who just life is not organized or planned or you know they're just like way off the deep end and out of control, you're like, I've got my life completely under control. And you sin in that. And so we each have that legacy. And one of the things we have to do is stop and recognize that, the good and the bad. Legacy I got from my parents was, was largely good. I feel very blessed um, by my parents. But, but there are certain things that shaped their lives that, that they passed on to me. They didn't want to, or they don't think they planned to. But when my dad's dad died when he was seven, and, and it was uh, 1940s, World War II, all of that, my grandmother living in utter poverty, raising four children. Like My dad started working at 11, uh, worked his way out of everything you couldn't you know realize he just couldn't rely on anyone else and to come help him or, or bless him he just had to work and so he was willing to work and he worked his way finished high school one of my favorite stories is that 17 years old was driving the local school bus to the school uh, he would go pick up get up at like I think he said like five drive the bus make the routes uh, drop the kids off in front of the school pull around the corner of the school smoke a cigarette and then go into class um <laughs> So he worked hard and, and, and went to the military for a couple of years, got back, ended up working full-time during the day, going to night school for eight years to get his bachelor's degree. He worked hard. My mom uh, didn't come from like the, the loving home. My grandmother was a, a woman of faith and uh, my, my mom came from a little broken home, a bit of a broken home, even though they were married. My grandfather was a difficult man, emotionally unavailable. <laughs> he had the attitude children were to be seen and not heard. My, sis, my mom was, uh, was a middle child, and so you know what happens to middle children and like that. They just try to make peace try to, for everybody, and uh, she struggled to have a voice. She struggled to be heard, and, uh, and she, um, she built up this resentment in her lifetime, and that kind of came out in her parenting style at times. Not that she didn't love me, but she was not the emotional parent I had. My dad was way more emotional, typically, than my mom was. 
but she would sometimes be, be passive aggressive in making comments because she couldn't, she, there was no freedom in her home growing up to voice her opinion. So she would have to make passive aggressive comments. And I received that. And so I had this like mindset at times of either overworking and like trying to earn my position and earn approval. Or when I can't control something, like anxiety can really set in. Like keep me up at night, wake me up in the middle of the night. I still talk to my dad sometimes about that. Now, my parents worked hard and they taught me a lot of things and I'm grateful for that legacy. And they have uh, many times over the last few years told me, 15 years or so, told me how much they are proud of me. But at my worst moments, I struggle to believe God is proud of me. At my worst moments, I struggle even to believe they really are. Why? Because that was ingrained to me at a young age. It was a performance-based approval. Many of you are carrying that kind of tendency towards sin in you. The Catholic priest Richard Rohr uh, once said, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Some of you are carrying that pain from, your, from before and you've just never like worked through it and, 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 you're, and you're acting out of it. It's spilling over into your life. You're transmitting it to other people. There's a popular psychological technique called reparenting where a counselor might help you talk through a child to a childhood version of yourself to help you heal from some of your uh, trauma and experiences um, and, and show yourself some compassion I'm not a, a psychologist, so don't pretend to understand it. I just, but what, from what I've read from it, it sounds very similar to what the Bible says we ultimately need, except that we don't need to reparent ourselves. We need to be reparented by God. We need to be reparented by a father who doesn't, uh, who isn't broken. And this is the gospel, the finished work of Jesus, that you are a beloved son or daughter of Christ. That he is not like your parent growing up. He's not waiting for your next uh, achievement. He is not waiting for you to get in line. He's not waiting for you to straighten this out or get that working or find that spouse or give me some grandkids or whatever your parents load on you. He is not sitting up there doing that. He loves you. He delights in you. That is so hard to accept sometimes. Am I the only one? It's hard to think. The idea of delight, it's, I, I can handle tolerate. Maybe you're like me, God kind of tolerates me. But to delight in me? But that's exactly what scripture teaches us. You are a treasure to him. So the first step in sort of breaking this cycle from our parents is receiving God as your father and letting him help heal wounds. The second step is work on forgiving your parents. If you've not processed these wounds, you need to talk to somebody. You need to start talking to somebody. You need to, you need to sit down with a friend, CG leader, or a counselor. You could reach out to the Boston Center for Biblical Counseling. They, they uh, uh, do a great job. They have great counselors on staff there. But I do want to say this to like, just help you in that journey right now. I to say this as bluntly as I can because I, I have an experience. As a dad, as a father of grown children, I can say this with utter clarity. Your parents did not know what they were doing. <laughs> they didn't. Now, they may have been very confident, right? 
Because, I mean, let's face it, to a three-year-old, an adult seems confident, even if they're not. Uh, but, but your parents really did not know what they were doing. They were broken people, too. They received a broken legacy, too. And, yes, they could have, they could have uh, handled things differently, and, 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 and it's not excusing sin, but it is helping you to begin to recognize uh, your parents were broken people, and they didn't know what they were doing. And you won't either one of these days if you become a parent. And parents, one of the best things you can do to, uh, is to learn to say to your kids, I'm sorry. That's, that's a hard one. It's a hard one when you have to repent to your kids. And you have to get down on their level and you say, I'm sorry, daddy yelled. That was wrong. Will you forgive me? And what's the kid going to say? Right, that you're teaching them what grace looks like and what repentance looks like, which, by the way, helps them to be able to repent when they need to. If daddy can repent and mommy can repent, then I can repent too. So you establish that pattern in their lives by demonstrating it. So you receive God as your father, forgive your parents, and then finally to, to um, address your legacy and what you've received, finally honor your parents. Honor your parents. Uh, there's a pastor in New York, um, John Tyson, who wrote a book a few years ago called The Intentional Father. Uh, it's a great little book focusing on the importance of fathers and how to raise sons. Uh, he has this exercise in this book, and I want to encourage you, whoever you are, to, to do this, men or, or women, and that is to uh, write a letter to your father. Even if your father's, father's dead or completely estranged, Write, sit down and write out a letter to him. List every single thing that you can remember that he got right. It might be a short list, but, but, but write it out. Honor your father with what he got right. When uh, Tyson tells the story, he gave his father uh, the letter right before an international flight. His dad was headed back to Australia, and he handed him uh, this letter his dad got on the flight. The next day, uh, John's brother calls him, what did you do to dad? He says, what do you mean? Did I offend him? He says, no. Something profound happened in your father's heart. He sat on the plane weeping while, while he read your letter. He was so happy about it. Thank you for doing that for him. I'll say this. Uh, I have received handwritten notes like this as a dad. And they are treasures. I don't even think my kids know it, but they, they are in my journal to this day. Just some, just some things I got right. I know I got plenty wrong, but just some things I got right. And I am betting your dad needs to hear that. And your mom. Finally, passing on a legacy of blessing and grace, and we'll just address this quickly and close. What areas in brokenness and blessing are you passing on? And I would say this, if you do not just put this on parents, if you are, do not have children, unless you are living in a bubble and not involving yourself in the children's lives of your community group or the people that God has put around you, you are impacting, you are passing on a legacy. I can't tell you how, in, in 25 years of pastoring how many times I've, I've seen a, a, a family member, a friend outside of mom and dad who had a huge impact on a child. 
And that impact can be really good or it can not be. But you are modeling for those kids. Let's do it intentionally. If you want to know the secret to, to parenting and really passing on a legacy of blessing and, and grace, it's this. You need to receive the love of Jesus. You as a parent need to receive it and receive it again and receive it again and receive it again. You as a single person need to receive it again and receive it again and receive it again. Because that love will shape you and spill out over you into the lives of children. Not only, not only is it about like leaving a godly legacy, but you yourself experiencing the joy of that love and that forgiveness and that grace afresh and anew changes you. The kids in our church need to see adults whose character is growing, who are resisting sin. We need to give them grace, but you can't give grace unless you're walking in it. Kids look to us, all of us as adults, and wonder what God is like by who we are. We point them. Someone once said, before your children know there's a God running the universe, they will know there's a mommy and daddy running the home. Are you modeling that, demonstrating who God is? Frederick Douglass once said, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Having worked with a lot of broken people, adults in ministry over the years, I cannot reiterate that truth more. Some of you are walking, what I would describe as walking wounded today. You may not have a physical limp, but your soul, your spirit has a a limp. And it's from the wounds of your family that were passed down to you. The sins of the father, sins of the mother that have come out in your own life. And you need to experience that grace today. I I would challenge you, do not let a day another day go by that you don't draw a line in the sand and say, this is it, I'm done. My children, the children around me will not know this sin that my parents gave me. I will break it and I will create a new legacy, a new line. Tyson says, um, the end of his book, he says, we need to have a vision of the day our sons will leave our homes and work backward from that day with a plan to help them gain the knowledge, skills, character, and experience they need. This will enable them to move into the world as confident and healthy men and women. We're gonna move into our time of response and maybe, as I've already said, you need to experience the grace of God afresh and anew in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, like that's what communion is about. He gives us communion to remind us that God is our father. Jesus is our brother. The spirit is always with us. And that despite the sins that you find yourself walking in, you do not have to walk in them any longer. And God is not up in heaven wagging his finger at you in disappointment. He is like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He is looking for you and he is running to you. Will you come to him today? 
As you take the bread and the cup, remember what Jesus has done for you if you're a Christian. Anytime over this next song, we'll dismiss sort of section by section because we can't have food or drink in here. And, but beginning over here, we'll kind of go out and have to take it out in the hallway and then kind of circle in through the back. Um, if you're not a Christian or don't know where you are with Christ today, or maybe you're carrying around some bitterness, unresolved bitterness, and, and you're like, I'm not sure I be, should be taking communion until I deal with that. Um, that's good. The Bible says that if, uh, if, we, if we know somebody has something against us or we have something against somebody, uh, to leave our gift at the altar and to go deal with it. And so maybe you need to not take communion today until you resolve to work through this bitterness that is in your heart. If you're not a Christian, we just ask you to, during this next song, to uh, you can sing, you can stay where you are, you can actually walk with the people around you if you want, but communion is actually for uh, those who have trusted Christ, who have experienced that new life in Him. So let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray. We can respond together. Jesus, we all recognize today that we have received from our earthly parents, both blessing and brokenness. And Lord, I pray that this would not be a moment of just more shame and guilt and fear, but this would be a moment where your spirit moves among us, bringing life and hope and peace and joy. And knowing that while our, our relationship with our earthly parents is complex and difficult, our relationship with you as our heavenly father is not. You have decided once and for all how you feel about us through your son, Jesus. So as we take the bread and the cup, we remember all that he did on the cross for us.